Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Studio, presented by iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. Hey, so I hope everybody's doing well out there, keeping safe, keeping healthy, and hearing lots of great music. All of those things are the reason that the Inside the Studio team put together this home edition of the show to let you know how artists are coping with lockdown, how it's impacting their lives, and what it means to the way they make music now. This time out, our quarantine correspondent, Jordan Runtog, connected with Alex and Jack from All Time Low to talk about their new album, Wake Up Sunshine, which came out in April, around the time everybody realized quarantine was not going away quickly, which for these two guys, meant ditching their sweatpants and picking back up their guitars. And after you finish checking out this episode, be sure to give a listen to the iHeartRadio podcast that Jordan hosts, Rivals, Music's Greatest Feuds, which is available wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Everybody, my name is Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. My guests today first started playing rock and roll together as teenagers in a Baltimore basement back in 2003. 17 years later, they are still rocking hard. They just released their eighth LP, Wake Up Sunshine, in April, featuring appearances by Black Bear and the band Camino. It's a return to their roots. If you listen closely, you can hear echoes from that Baltimore basement nearly two decades ago. 
I utter their name with reverence because make no mistake, they are pop punk royalty. I am very happy. I'm thrilled to welcome Alex and Jack from All Time Low. Hey. Thank you so much for being what here. What an intro, dude. That was oh, thank- quite nice. Only nice. the best for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Jack's birthday, I might add. Jack's very kind to share his birthday with us. Hey. Hey. Happy birthday, I, Jack. Honestly, I love spending it with my with my friends and people who are lovely like you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, well, first and foremost, how the hell are you? How does quarantine life find you today? I'm all right. I'm I'm feeling quite good. You feeling know, the, the sun is shining, um, and things could be a lot worse. So I'm uh, I'm pretty I'm content. Honestly, like I feel like at this point, quarantine. Like, I'm scared to go back to like normal life. Like I'm used to quarantine life. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that feels normal to me. I like now. my house now. Yeah, yeah. Yes. don't make, I like don't make it here. I like my safety bubble. <laughs> a generation of agoraphobes right? is what we are all now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Alex, you're on a farm, right? That's like I've been 15 years in New York City. That's the most exotic thing in the world to me. Yeah, man. Um, we we live out in the middle of the sticks, so we're sort of like we're just surrounded by nature and woods. And uh, deer ticks, <laughs> but um, no, it's great, man. It's it's really nice here. Uh, we are lucky and very blessed to to sort of be in a position where um, the quarantine has not made our daily lives feel that much that claustrophobic. I guess you know we're able to get out and um, you know get some air, and and we're like sort of in our own little safety bubble here. Which uh, I'm very grateful for uh, right now, but yeah, things things are it's fun. It's fun. We got a bunch of animals. We got horses. We got goats. So they keep us pretty busy. Keep us on our toes. Oh man, were any of the animals from the Sleeping In video yours? Like the the tiny horse? I wish. In fact, that day, um, that the day that we shot the Sleeping In video, I actually asked if the horse was available for rescue um, because we were working at a an animal rescue in Nashville uh, with the sole purpose of trying to get that place emptied out. And obviously the horse, they do not, they do not house many horses at that facility, but they brought one in and I was not sure whether or not it was one that was actually up for adoption. And I did ask, but this one had an owner, which I was dismayed to find out because I would have taken him home. Do, oh. do, do mini horses, like, do they have health issues or are they like just like a normal horse, but just smaller? I don't know, to be honest. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it's like uh, anything where they get weird stuff. Yeah. That'd be, cause that'd be like super cute to have one of those and Yeah. We thought about it. We we talked about rescuing like a mini donkey or a mini horse, but um, it didn't it didn't come to pass. Mm. What's that old saying? Never work with kids or animals. Were they were they well behaved on the set? Dude, I'm honestly like the cat was not. <laughs> cats are the hardest. Cats are. We've worked with cats twice on videos, and they are very difficult because we all know how cats can be. Um, the the show stops for the cat. You know what I mean? Like everything <laughs> suddenly. The entire production revolves around whether or not the cat feels like doing the thing that it's being asked to do. Yeah. And you know, we we are not ever going to bring any discomfort or harm or anything to the cat. So it's really like it really is. There's no way to like coax it into doing something. You just it either does it or it doesn't. Yeah, you give some treats. And you just maybe, have to yeah. kind of you just kind of have to wait to get the take. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It's actually we've worked with animals a lot in music videos and. In the earlier days, I I didn't think twice about it, never really worried about it. Then I got to a point where I, I was becoming a little more aware of like some of the things that these animals go through in show business, and it made me feel a little bit icky, and I didn't love doing it until we came up with this premise for this sleeping in video where, um, A, the animals were wonderful to work with and amazingly trained and, and were under great care, and B... It was for an amazing cause. It was for getting a bunch of animals uh, rescued, which we, we all in this band feel very passionate about. So it was pretty cool. Oh, that is awesome. Have you been feeling just, I, I know a lot of people in quarantine, I feel like half the people I know are feeling super creative and productive. And then the other half are just really like, 
What day is it? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> How have you been doing? Are you are you feeling super creative and productive? Um, personally, the first three weeks of quarantine, I, I went, I was like, okay, this isn't, how long is this going to last? What am I going to do? I decided I'm just going to watch movies that I've wanted to watch my whole life and haven't seen. So I made like a list of like 50 movies and I got like really close to hitting them all. So like it was straight up just watching an insane amount of movies. Um, and then it got to the point where I was like, okay, we have a record coming out because this is before the album came out. We have a record coming out. This may last forever. <laughs> like, we need to, I need to at least personally do something that's a little more fulfilling or else I'm going to actually go crazy. And when this is over, I'm going to look back and be like, did I just waste like th- four months of my life? So I started taking music lessons with an old friend and kind of, you know, going back to why I fell in love with playing guitar in the first place. And I started reading more and doing all these things that I don't think I would have done without quarantine. Wow, so, yeah. that's awesome. Began enriching his life. <laughs> yes, learning how to cook. I was hitting up Alex for like, like cooking advice. Yeah, man. You got creative in the kitchen. I was, I was proud of you. Like I had never really seen you uh, cook much before, and then all of a sudden you were making these amazing-looking dishes. I was, I was like, yeah, let's go, buddy. Let's go. Thank you. What's been the most successful one? Most successful yeah, dish? Right? Oh, um, I guess most successful tasting was this bolognese my sister gave me the recipe for, um, which is actually bolognese is so easy. Like it's really easy. You just like put a bunch of stuff in a pot and just wait like a couple hours, but, um, it's wait a day. Yeah. It was really good. Bolognese is always better the next day. Yes. You got to let it cool down and then heat it back up. And there's something about whatever happens in that process in the fridge overnight just gets Mm -hmm. even tastier. You know, it's really interesting because, um, I, at first, kind of like what Jack was saying, like I, I kind of settled into the idea of, all right, we're stuck at home and I don't have any responsibilities anymore and I'm just going to wear sweatpants and, you know, turn the lights out and close the curtains and, and not leave my den. Um, and after about a week and a half, two weeks of that, I was like, I need structure. I need something. And, um, you know, between all the farm stuff that we just talked about and then like just needing some kind of creative outlet, I think. Um, you know, I did find myself picking up the guitar and going back to sort of these very like, almost felt like getting back to the beginning, you know, like when I would be in my room alone, sitting on the bed, like recording demos, um, and just coming up with ideas. And suddenly that started happening again. And there's something very interesting about that because having been in a band for 17 years and having made eight records in so many different ways, that sort of back to basics approach is not something that we've really done a whole lot. Uh, since the early days, and so it's it's kind of cool now full to come full circle and um, you know think about writing songs in a way that is just very DIY and like you know what I was doing in high school. Well, for Wake Up Sunshine, you guys rented a house, right? Like out in the what Palm Desert. What was that experience like for you? I mean, that almost sounds back to basics to me because that was the first time you'd done that since 2009, right? Like nothing personal, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely was back to basics for us. I mean, it. it we had not made an album in that way since probably uh, So Wrong It's Right, if I'm being honest. I mean, Don't Panic, we did the majority of the record with uh, Mike Green at his studio in California. But the idea that all four of us were under one roof living uh, and like eat, sleep, breathing these songs and this music together, it was a shared experience from the moment these songs were conceptualized to the minute we finished recording them. And I think, yeah, it, it just lended something so good and so pure and so like a very unique energy uh, to the creative process because it's something that we hadn't really tapped into for, for many, many years. And I think it just refreshed us. Like it, it was like hitting a reset button on the band. It kind of made us look at everything from a, a different perspective again. And it really refreshed, I think, our take on our band and our music. I mean, just living in that house, I'm picturing like 
the monkeys directed by John Hughes or something like that. Like it seems like, what was it like when you weren't recording and working on music? Was it fun? Yes. It was, it was very fun. It was very comfortable. Um, a lot of, you know, it basically was like tour, but like way more comfortable because you didn't have to wake up in a different city every day. Um, it was a lot of, you know, we had an amazing backyard. We, we made sure that if we're going to live in a house for a month, it's really nice. And luckily, you know, Palm Desert's not that expensive. And um, it was about 110 degrees out every day. So <laughs> there wasn't a, yeah, there wasn't too much going outside. <laughs> we went during the time of year where everybody leaves Palm Desert. So yeah. <laughs> the rental prices were so cheap. So yeah, we got, we got a good amount of house for, for, we didn't dip too far into the record budget on that one. <laughs> it, it was, it was smart though. And our, I guess our manager was like, oh, I'll put him in the desert in like the middle of summer. Like they're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're stuck. So it was we good practice for quarantine, really. Yeah. yeah we, there was no distraction because you literally could not step outside of the house without the soles of your shoes melting to the table. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, 
Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. How do you guys compliment each other as, as songwriters? What, what does the other one bring to the table? I tell Jack he's really good looking all the time. That's how I compliment him. Yeah. And then and then he goes in the closet and writes the song and comes out, here I got it. And I'm like, wow, I did I did I helped. That's crazy. No, um this this process was really, again, just thinking about Wake Up Sunshine, it was really complimentary. And and I say that for between me and Jack, but also between the other guys as well. It it was kind of everybody brought their strongest suit to the table, and it was really cool having everyone at their best throughout the process. Um I would sort of I'd be sitting on the couch with my iPad and and a guitar and a microphone and sort of like spitballing these ideas and what was nice about that was that at any given moment Jack might walk through the room or Ryan might walk through the room and or Zach and be like, "Ooh, don't do that. Try this." And just that sort of real-time feedback um was extremely helpful in crafting songs that felt uh, really true to all four of us. And I think, you know, in the past when it's just been me writing a full song and then taking it to the guys, they're always going to have input, but it's not in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not at conception, yes. I guess. And so there's something to be said for that spontaneity um, that I think really shines. At conception of the song, there's so much more, I guess, room for it to grow and change and move in different directions when you're creating it rather than, you know, going retroactively back and like being like, let's change this chorus. Then you kind of lose that magic, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Prior to recording Wake Up Sunshine, I know you both have been involved with other projects, Alex with Simple Creatures and Jack with Who Hurt You. Was that, did that kind of prime the creative pump in a way for All Time Low? Did it kind of like flush out some of these other ideas and make you see things in a completely fresh and new way for your next project together as a band? Yeah, totally. I mean, I for me personally, it was an, a way for me to get some things out that I don't think would have fit the mold of All Time Low as well, you know? Um, we're always going to write for ourselves, but at the same time, you know, 17 years into a career, you have to recognize that there's a bit of a brand and uh, you don't want to completely alienate everyone that listens to you. Um, so it's like, you know, we've always been given a pretty wide lane by our fans to work in. Like even when we've tried kind of more absurd off the wall, different ideas, uh, our fan base has come along for the ride, which is very gratifying. But, you know, for me, Simple Creatures was a, a, a means to be a little more out there and try some unusual things. Mark was in the same boat. We both wanted to explore some stuff that was not uh, in any way kind of reflective of our other bands. Um, and so, you know, it, it just allowed us to scratch an itch. And I think that gives you perspective when you come back around to work on the main baby. Cause then you're like, all right, well, I got this stuff out of the way. I don't need to try and force that into, you know, I don't need to try and force a square into a circle here. Um, and, uh, it also just gave me a lot of, you know, a lot of new tricks for the album, um, that really helped out. And I think, you know, I don't want to speak for Jack, but as an observation I made was that, you know, Jack going and doing, uh, who hurt you was like, I think his writing chops just upgraded tremendously. I remember the first time Jack came in, you know, and we were starting to work on Wake Up Sunshine. It was just like, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? It, it, it gave me a new confidence, you know, to to kind of say something. You know, it's it's like learning a new skill and kind of giving you the confidence to 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 give input, you know, and 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 not and be okay with hearing people would be like, no, I don't like that, or I like that, you know what I mean? But um, I think it was important for, when Alex did the Simple Creatures thing, I think it was really important, at least to me, Ryan, and Zach, for us to support him, because, you know, he was also starting a side project with, you know, 
pretty much the reason why we started playing music, you know, with, with Mark Hoppus. So that I think we felt, you know, really good about because, you know, we were, we were like, we're letting our boy go with our, with our dad, you know, <laughs> with, with, his, with his new dad, <laughs> like learn, learn from him. And, and yeah, so that was really cool. I mean, not to totally fanboy out, but like, does it, did it ever start to feel normal working with, you know, your hero, Mark Hoppus? To be honest, yes, it did actually normalize. You know, I, I'll, I'll say this. I feel really lucky that I got to know Mark over uh, many years and that we did not work together until him and I were very much like friends first. Um, I think if he had come to me before meeting me like years ago and be like, hey, you want to work on something? I would have just been sitting there like with my mouth hanging open <laughs> being like, whatever you say, Mark, yeah, I love everything you do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's... It, that would not have been that would not have made for a good or interesting project, I think. So the fact that like you know we were we're we're friends and uh, it was amazing to be able to kind of sit down and, and work creatively on something together because we tried so many times in the past. We had like we'd written songs for all time low before that didn't end up seeing the light of day, and we collaborated on a couple tracks together. One, you know, tidal waves for all time low. He came and sang on that, and so there's always been these moments of creativity with Mark and I, and and we'd always sort of like never fully you know, punch through that wall. And uh, yeah, Simple Creatures just kind of was the culmination of many years of like trying yeah, to get it to happen. I don't know if, if you would have had the confidence like 10 years ago to be like, I don't like that verse. He would have been like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get to a point where like someone who inspired you to, to be in music to begin with, you can sit down in a room and be like, dude, I think that kind of sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to have that you have to have that honest back and forth, and, and we have that now, which is good. Like we can keep each, we can complement each other rather than just be, um, you know, like rather than me being there, like we're not worthy. <laughs> so you have this new record ready to go, Wake Up Sunshine. It's it's upbeat, it's refreshed, fifteen tracks, and then Corona hits. Touring and release plans all go out the window. A lot of acts like Lady Gaga and I think the nineteen seventy five actually delay their albums. What made you decide to, to go ahead and release yours? We uh, actually made this record knowing that the whole world was going to shut down. <laughs> so messed up. <laughs> no. Just like... Um, we, yeah, like, it's, it's absolutely insane. I, I don't think anyone uh, could have possibly anticipated how this whole thing was going to go. We, we really just found, found that the idea of not putting out the music would be doing a disservice to our fans who were ready for it. You know, we had already announced that it was coming out. Um, we had music out. As this was happening, everything was sort of starting to shut down. And we had that conversation like two weeks out with the label and everything like, do we push back? Do we delay this? Do we wait? And it's just the more we thought about it, the more we felt like it would be kind of selling everybody short. Like this was, a, this was an album that, you know, made us feel really good and really excited and felt like kind of therapeutic and cathartic for us to make it. And so maybe some of that would shine through in the music for people in a really tough time. And, uh, uh, we we just decided that it was the move to put it out and to let our fans enjoy it and hopefully have it be sort of a a safety net in all of this. Looking back, I I'm happy we stuck to our guns because you know we released a song in January and then a song in February and then March came around. If we would have you know delayed the record a couple months, you know then those songs and the whole and the whole kind of anticipate anticipation for the record kind of dies in my opinion. Yeah. So I think it's important that we stuck to to what we we felt in our gut was the best decision. And yeah, I'm happy we did that because, you know, people had something new to listen to, you know, throughout all this. Yeah, people need stuff to look forward to. How have you been connecting the fans in the midst of all this? 
we have tried a myriad of things, you know, every, everything we could think of that's, that's physically possible, uh, in the current state of it all. Um, I mean, zoom calls have been huge. We've done like zoom concerts, yeah. exactly what we're doing here, but with 300 fans all at once, um, playing some songs for them. We've been doing like weekly live streams, which have been pretty incredible. Um, Jack and I actually kind of dug our podcast uh, from Crash back out of the grave and renamed it and rebranded it. And we're doing it a slightly different way now. We sort of live stream record it and then it comes out as a podcast later. And that's been a really cool way for us to sort of connect with people in a way that's not just music focused mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, our music is a huge part of it and, and that's out there now that's living out there in the world. But the other part of it for us and, and for our band, especially, I feel like has always been our personal connection with the fan base. And so for us to be able to, to reach out and, and connect with people through the podcast Crash Test Live and, and through these streams, uh, it kind of feels like being there in real life, which is the one thing that's missing from, from our lives right now. Obviously you can't tour and I'm sure that's Incredibly painful. So to try to help with the pain, I'm going to ask you this question. What was your biggest, most Spinal Tap-like tour disaster ever, concert disaster ever? I mean, to be honest, there we've had a, a very real Spinal Tap moment before where we were, it was during the filming of our Wembley live show. It was part of our DVD. Um, it was one of our biggest headliner shows to date at that point in our career and we were filming it all live, and there was this moment in the show where I come off the main stage and have to run through the inner workings of Wembley Arena to get to front of house <laughs> to do a song acoustic. I know where this and is I going. And I literally had that moment from Spinal Tap where we took one one wrong turn, and we were suddenly in this like <laughs> labyrinth of hundred year old yeah. hallways, Hall, tiny hallways <laughs> with tiny doors and some were locked and some were not. And we would open one and there'd be like a person cleaning or changing or like making food for everyone that Does night. Does anyone know how to get uh, to the front of house? Yes. And the whole thing was like before the show, you know, this was all being shot live and it was like very expressly stated to me. It was like, okay, there's one thing we can edit, we can clean things up. Don't worry. One thing that really needs to hit on time is your cue getting to that center stage. Oh, because God. the videos and, the, and everything lined up. And the funny part is... Because they had to flip all the cameras around and everything. Yeah, And it was just like... Instead of having like a professional like security or bodyguard who had like pan, like figured out the route before, we had like our buddy... New directions. We had like our buddy Steve doing it, who's like our friend from high school. He was just like, yeah, I think it's this way. Like, like. So I'm just, I'm just tearing, tearing butt around... Uh, backstage at Wembley for a good, probably a very long feeling two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really wasn't that long in actuality, but that two minutes really dragged. Yeah. <laughs> when it was supposed to be 30 seconds. Well, now I'll go to the opposite question. What was the most incredible onstage moment that you can remember? Mm. Oof. Um, it's got to be many. I mean, in a weird way, probably that show too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, sh- that show was so like pivotal for us. Um, Jack, I, yeah. think, I feel like I was going to say. Um, so two, I think it was two years ago. They did the end of Warp Tour, like the last Warp Tour. Yeah, and they they invited us to play a couple of the California dates. You know, Warp Tour was pretty instrumental in all time lows. I guess everything really. You know, we've been doing it since we were like seventeen, and so you know it was going to be a really cool moment for us. We knew and you know, a really cool thing to be a part of. And so they put us last on the San Francisco Warp Tour date on the main stage. And that was the day that, um, because of the venue, it was in the amphitheater, you know, so it was in like... This Mountain View. Mount, Mountain View Jesus Amphitheater, massive. you know, which is like, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people and goes up, 
like that. And so we closed out the stage and we closed that warp tour that day and everyone was in there because we we're the only band playing and all the bands were behind us on stage. And it was just this whole crazy moment for us to like, you know, I like almost started crying on stage. I was like tearing up and it was just very emotional. And, you know, one of those like, you know, this is where we started and now it's ending kind of thing. Yeah, that was that was a very incredible moment. I mean, to, to like you said, to have the the amphitheater was full of fans. I, pre, I think the whole everyone that was there that day went into the amphitheater to watch us play. And um, so it was packed out front. But then, uh, yeah, to pretty much what felt like also the entire tour was behind us on the stage watching oh, as well. Kevin, it was just, Kevin it was, Lyman and everyone. Kevin yeah. Lyman, everything. It was, cool. it, was just, it was a really special moment. And it was, yeah, like Jack said, the fact that that's where we sort of got our, our start uh, to then sort of be able to close out that date that way with everybody. And, you know, so many of the staff on that tour had been there for years. And so there were people that we, we hadn't played Warp Tour for years at that point, but like to go back and see a bunch of old friends that we had toured with uh, in years past and things like that was, was really, really special. Oh man, it's gotta be moments like that you gotta think. Like this is a long way from the basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. It's it, we have so many of those moments. It's mind blowing. It really is. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity 
and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Well, speaking of your early days, one of my favorite songs on your new album is Basement Noise. I just think that's, it just really throws it back. Tell me a little bit about those early days. What does that song mean to you? We had never really reflected in a song about our earliest memories of a band, of being the band, you know? And like, it, it, it was cool the way that song came to be because Jack and I had spent most of the day uh, working on another song in the studio with, with Zach Cervini, our producer. And it was probably like two in the morning. And uh, we sort of hit a wall with this other song we were working on. And we were like, look, we got to get something, even though it's late, even though we're tired and we're burned out, we got to get something tonight to walk away with. It's like a success, a win. Um, and so we, we shut down that old session and opened up a new one and started writing uh, what would become Basement Noise. And like Jack and I were sort of working on the lyrics. And as we were writing, we realized that it was this like self-reflective story of, of how him and I met up and got together and started writing songs for the first time. And yeah, in Ryan's basement. Yeah. It was a really cool way to sort of reflect on that and, and pay tribute to the fact that uh, we sort of were making this record in a very organic way that was very reminiscent of the way we made records back then. What were your goals back then in the basement? Like, what were you looking towards? Oh, we, man. <laughs> we would play these shows locally where, like, at a church hall, and it was basically about, like, being the band that had the biggest crowd. You know, like, bringing, like, the most kids from your high school to come. So we were very much, like, trying to, like, I feel like impress girls. You know, like, the same thing everyone starts, <laughs> the same reason why everyone starts a band is to impress a girl or a guy. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, in the beginning, at least for us, that's that's personally what a, <laughs> a lot of that was like. That I mean, it's high school. You know what I mean? You don't. You're not like, oh, we're gonna go out and tour and make money. Like, no, that's not really what you're thinking about. Yeah, we certainly weren't thinking about money. We were like, if anything, we were losing money because we were like, <laughs> you know, losing our parents' money rather. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cutting grass to go play shows on the weekend is yeah. pretty much what it came down to. Uh-oh. But um, yeah, we were like, you know, it was back then. It was really. Uh, I felt like we were very lucky because in Baltimore, there was this really budding local scene at the time. Um, there were a few bands that were a little bit older than us, like a, a band called Adelphi comes to mind, who sort of got signed to... Drive Through Records. Drive Through Records, yeah. which at the time was like a really impactful label from our scene. And, um, you know, they uh, they sort of set the tone for bands in our area to sort of aspire for that next level. Good Charlotte, good, yeah, good Charlotte sorry to interrupt. Good Charlotte was kind of like the yeah. first where like, we're like, oh shit, we can do this. Um, oh yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. But the, there was definitely, Good Charlotte was definitely a huge one. They mm-hmm. were they were sort of, they, they were kind of already on their way to being largely successful before yeah. we kind of started having any kind of significance. But like, they definitely set the path mm-hmm. and, and set the goal for us to be like, okay, there's more out there than just playing the one local venue that we have here or whatever. It was kind of like, let's start reaching out to bands in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and New York and trying to drive a few hours to play some shows at these other VFWs and other church halls and um, get in front of people. And that, I think, is what instilled in us the idea that it could work when people started to come see us from far away or what felt like far away then. um, It it made things uh, much more real. 
man, you guys should run some like band team building workshops or something. Like what's been keeping like the interband dynamic so strong after like all this time? You guys seem like the bestest friends. It's incredible. Good question. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I always pay attention to with our band and I'm very grateful for is that we really treat it like a family. We treat each other like family. It's, you know, there's never, it's not one of those things where when there's a disagreement, the like three of us go, ah, let's gang up on that one person and make them feel terrible for having an idea. You know, it's always been about respecting everyone's thoughts and feelings and checking in and making sure that everybody, everyone feels spoken for and heard. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is just nobody's let their ego get in the way ever, really. It's never been about one of us. It's always been about the four of us, which, because without one of us, this doesn't feel like all time low. So yeah, I think, I think we've just always, uh, looked out for each other and made sure that everybody's in like a good mental space throughout all of it. And, and yeah, just, we just always check in and treat each other like the brothers that we are at this point. I think it's because of our roots. You know, we came, we grew up together. We went to high school together we grew up knowing each other's parents. And I think because we built like this high school kind of groundwork in, you know, it made going through life and the success and the not the no success and every, the ups and downs, it made it all so much easier. <laughs> I'm telling you, band team building Zoom conference calls. It's, Let's go. It, it would work. It would work. <laughs> Let's do it. It's so great. I mean, do you guys keep in touch a lot when you're not touring? Like what's your group chat called? I got to ask. Ooh, we got a couple. We ha- Which one? We Ooh, have so many. We uh, um, yeah. So... The one from the one from the uh, creative process of wake of wake up sunshine is called Analog Warmth Boys, um, and it's because we started referring to everything we were doing on the record as analog warmth, even though I don't think anything we did on the record was actually analog. Um, we have a, we have a group chat that we started for Alex's bachelor party like six years ago. He's been married for a couple of years, like, and it's yeah. still going strong. And that's a that's all of us band and crew. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, we do have a tour one that fires up every now and then. Obviously, like we're not on tour right now, but um, a lot of our crew members are still active crew members for us when we do eventually get back on the road. So there's that one, and every now every now and then someone will fire into that one, being like, "I miss you guys." <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's a lot. Aside from not being able to tour, what's been the hardest thing about quarantine for you? Ooh, um, I've loved I it. I think, I mean, <laughs> what? I've loved it. <laughs> other than, I other than so not touring, it's been great. Um, what's been tough? I don't know. I mean, look, I, I feel really, really lucky that the worst of it for me and my family has been that we're bored. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there are so many people out there that are really in a bad way because of everything that's going on, um, be it financially or, or career wise Mm -hmm. or health wise or whatever, you know, like I, I continue to feel that, uh, we are very, very lucky to be in a position where the worst that we have is just a bit of boredom. Um, you know, obviously like I, I hate not being able to see like friends and family as much as I would like to, uh, you know, like my, I have a family member who is immunocompromised. So like it keeps me from seeing them often and regularly and I have to be really careful. Um, so that part's obviously not ideal, but like, you know, it's, it's been fairly manageable for, for me personally. And, and, you know, I've just been enjoying the time at home with family because a lot of the time we don't get that we're out on the road 85% of the year most years. So this has been like the one positive thing to come from this, I think, is that we've gotten a little extra bonus time with our friends and family at home. But that being said, I also really miss being on tour like so much. Yeah, I miss we, the guys. We haven't, I mean, we haven't played shows because we, you know, we haven't toured in, I don't know, two years now. And like this was supposed to be our year back to tour. So really missing the touring. <laughs> I know it's very early days on the music we're working on, but what can you tell us about it so far? 
About new music? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we've already had conversations about the fact that, you know, we put an album out during a time that we can't be out there promoting it and, and playing it for people. So by the time all of this is behind us, um, it may be time to put out more music. You know what I mean? Like that could, that could be a reality and that's a reality that we've never really had to deal with before. So we're already having those conversations of like, all right, when can we get back in a studio and start cooking up some more fresh ideas so that when things open back up and we can get out there and play music, it still feels fresh and it still feels new for people. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's very preliminary right now because obviously we're still kind of uh, really excited about Wake Up Sunshine, but I think, you know, sooner than later, there will most likely be the four of us in a room again uh, trying to make some new music. Yeah, now that we know that, you know, writing together with the people that we wrote with and made the record... And we know how successful it was, you know, personally and, you know, with our fan base. I think that we're going to kind of get back to, to that and see see what comes out. Yeah, there's more there's more to tap into in that process, I think. You know, it was it was a really refreshing one for us. And I think there's there's more that it can offer us creatively. So here's a hypothetical, a fantasy hypothetical. You snap your fingers, pandemic's over. What's the first thing you do? Just that day, person you hug, thing you go do, trip you want to take. What is it? Ooh. Oh, man, I would give my parents a big kiss. Because oh. <laughs> I've been, I've been like every time I sort of see them, it's like the weird half hug thing. We're like, oh, we're being careful. Um, so I'd give my parents a big kiss, um, and then I would probably, I would Airbnb another house somewhere, maybe back in Palm Desert, and I would fly all you guys in. Let's go and Zach Servini, and we'd we'd uh, make some more music together. I we were supposed to be on Sad Summerfest soon, which which is a summer tour we were mm-hmm. gonna do. So I'd probably go straight to that. Fire it up. Yeah, that's a good one. We, we moved it to next summer, which is going to be great, but I would just let's push it another year forward. Yeah. 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 Move it back <laughs> into place. Back into and place. Get and... us on tour. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Alex, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio Home Edition, a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio and other shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? 
facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.